How about we just start the episode? We could do that. <laughs> What's up, Sam? What's up, Michael? What are we what are we even doing here? It's it's Christmas has happened. It's past New Year's Day. What what are we doing here? Yeah, and there wasn't an episode that came out last week. There wasn't. I had nothing to listen to last Tuesday. We didn't tell anybody that we weren't we weren't gonna put out an episode or anything, and so many people were worried about us. Uh-huh. I was my phone was blowing up. Yeah, they were they were all convinced that we were dead. Mm-hmm. We weren't. It was it was purposeful. We're here. We're gonna do one last episode for season one. Mm-hmm. And this episode, we're gonna cover our top ten favorite movies from 2021. Correct. So these are movies that were released in 2021 because we watched a lot of movies in 2021, but we're just gonna cover the ones that came out yep. in 2021. Yes. I will say there's a lot that we were um, hoping to see before the end of the year that just. Because we live in Mississippi, they just decided not to come. Like Tragedy of Macbeth. Tragedy of Macbeth. More like the tragedy of Sam and Michael not getting to see the tragedy of Macbeth because that would look pretty good. Uh, Licorice Pizza, I didn't get to see that. Um, there, is a, there is a handful of movies that I would have liked to see, but in the uh, hopes of getting this episode out while it's still relevant, we're just going to go ahead and cap it off and say, let's let's just do this. There, I will say this... This year was a lot of movies came out. It was good, and I think movies are officially back in the swing of things after last year, where like nothing came out. But I think it was kind of a disappointing year. There were a lot of movies that I was really looking forward to that turned out to be not even necessarily like terrible, but they were just fine. Mm-hmm. And that's almost more disappointing than if they were terrible. Um, and so I started to get really worried in the last like month or so because really the only movies on my list that I loved were like the top one or two and the rest were just kind of like I really I enjoyed these but like I don't love them but in the last like month or so I've started to see more that I really enjoyed so it kind of filled out my list a little bit more I think that it was a good year for movies as well mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad that people are, are feeling safe enough to go to theaters We've got vaccinations rolling out uh, continuing maybe one day there will be a uh, There'll, there'll be a time when we aren't worried about a pandemic when we go to the theater. Don't think that'll be 2022, though. Mm. Well, Spider-Man did just kick the box office back into high gear. It's like the, I think it was the third fastest movie to ever reach a billion dollars, the third biggest opening of all time, even though it was a pandemic. So it's, things are looking up, but I think we should go ahead and get into our list. So we're just going to cover our top five in, in more detail um, but we're going to go through our, our 10 to 6 just kind of very briefly because we like them. They're on our top 10s, but they're just, you know. Yeah. We want to talk about our top 5s more. So Sam and I both have our own uh, top 2021 releases lists, mm-hmm. and these are both available on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. If you care about that, then you can find us on Letterboxd and see our lists in full. Uh, I've got... 41 movies logged. I think got you've got like 32 now. So we've got a lot. Uh, but I think what I want to do is just kind of go through. Uh, I'm going to start with my number 10, which is Lamb. Uh, number nine was The French Dispatch. Number eight, West Side Story. Number seven, Spencer. And number six, Bo Burnham's Inside. Hmm. I also watched Bo Burns Inside. I didn't count it on my list just because I think I was thinking more 
of narrative, but it's a good 10 through 6. My 10 through 6 is Spencer, The Power of the Dog, House of Gucci, The Green Knight, and The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Mm. Yeah, I just watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye last night because you told me to. Yeah, it was one that I was looking forward to, but it didn't come to theaters here, and it kind of, it came and went, and I I kind of that forgot about it. That was in theaters? It. No, it wasn't in theaters. Oh, okay. Like, it came and went in, like, my in terms of me being excited about it, just because it never came to theaters. Um, and then it popped up on HBO Max on January 1st, and I was like, ah, we're about to record this podcast, let me see if it's any good. And I, and I enjoyed it. The, were you mostly interested in it because of Andrew Garfield? That was the main draw, but then I, I liked the um, the idea of watching these televangelists just kind of fake their way to the top. There, there's something about a good rise to power movie that'll always get me. Like it's especially when they're the protagonist that you're following is doing it by not great means. Um, I, the first one I think about was Nightcrawler, um, which I think is fantastic. And so I think those kinds of stories will always be entertaining to me. But mm-hmm. um, I think we'll talk a little bit more about some of the movies that are on my 10 through 6 once we get into your top 5. Um, we both had Spencer on our 10 through 6. Um, and we both saw that together. Both really enjoyed it. Um, I just... The re- what kept it from getting any higher on the list was um, I don't think it's super rewatchable um, but I, I enjoyed it a lot yeah well that, that is interesting how our lists are different it is well let's uh once we get now that we're getting into the top five I think we should um, just say your five say my five talk about it and then go and then just way. kind of pick each movie yeah, yeah. All right, number five, I had Luca. My uh, number f- five was Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yikes! Which surprises the whole. I, I'm pretty sure the entire state is shocked at that news, including myself. My um, inner film student is screaming at me, telling me, "What are you doing? What are you doing? How could you do this?" Um, but I don't care. I really liked it. I saw it very early in the year. Um, I think I, I went into it with nothing but morbid curiosity. I was like, okay, all these fans have been begging for it. I can't wait for them to see that it's actually just another bad movie. And then I watched it, and the entire four hours I was entertained. I was looking forward to seeing how it ended, and I think it's significantly better than the movie that came out in 2017. After watching four hours of a Zack Snyder Justice League movie, I thought to myself, not only would I watch that again, but I want to see how the story continues. And I think that's enough of a positive to not just like gloss over. I also think it's so nice in this in the age where we're getting like three and four Marvel movies and like two and three Marvel TV shows a year that are all comedies at this point. It's really nice to see a superhero story that takes itself seriously and treats the characters like they're... As Zack Snyder talks about it, he shot the movie and treated all of the characters as if they were gods like superman he shoots him like he's a greek god and it's just real like there's still humor sprinkled throughout it but it doesn't feel cheap or it doesn't feel like it's just trying to keep the audience like on their toes and laughing and happy 
Mm-hmm. It's like it's very natural, and it's just a, I thought thought it was a good movie. I think all of the characters had character arcs that were investing. So I I think it's crazy that it's on my list, especially at number five. But upon thinking about it, it entertained me. I would watch it again. I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, you might be making some people very unhappy by putting that as number five. People might stop listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's possible. I didn't realize that we were saying our number fives and then diving into the Oh, sorry. So I'll talk about Luca now. Okay, yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Pixar's Luca. I loved it because because it's a coming-of-age story, and I eat that up. So it was just a really well-told story, and I loved the, uh, the three main friendships. And I loved that it was, it, it knew that it was low stakes. It's like the biggest uh, conflict is the bully that kind of runs the town. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I didn't he- really hear it. This is one of those Pixar movies that just kind of went under the radar. I never saw it. I never really knew anything about it. Um, wasn't interested in seeing it. So I'm surprised it's this high up in your list. I watched it in the summer and loved it. Almost any movie that makes me cry is going to be a good movie in my books. And mm. this was one that, that had me in kind of emotional at one point. Nice. And yeah, it's just a very good movie that I could watch with anybody, and I would love to rewatch it. Great. That's very nice. What was your number four? My number four was West Side Story. What was your number four? Uh, I chose The Power of the Dog. Excellent. Which, That's my number nine. That is your number nine. Which is interesting. Let's go ahead and talk about Power of Dog first. So let's. Jane Campion is I, the director. Yeah. Uh, I Has she directed anything before? So this is the first movie that she's directed in twelve years, I think. Oh, I did hear about that. Yeah. And I, I don't think that I've seen any other films from her. Hmm. So this was a this was a first for me. Okay, I will say because there are things we could get into with Power of Dog. Let's keep all of this these discussions spoiler free, just in case. Because this is kind of us encouraging people, since this is our top five. We obviously hold these movies in high regard. Go watch them. This is kind of us recommending them, in a sense. So let's keep it spoiler-free. We're not analyzing these. Right. We're just talking about what we liked. Um, Power of the Dog uh, is another one that I caught very late. I wasn't looking forward to it, but it started getting good buzz. Um, When I first watched it, I felt like I had I collected all the puzzle pieces as the movie was going I was picking up puzzle pieces and going I need to remember this I need to remember this and then when it ended I was I, I the movie ended and it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was just my brain was too tired to put any pieces together <laughs> so I was literally holding all these puzzle pieces just like okay cool but like what do I'm I do not this? putting this I'm not putting this together um, and I, when I initially dropped it on my films of 2021 ranked list I think I had it at like number 20. And then it moved up to like 13, and then it moved up to number 9. And I think if I watched it again, I could see it going even higher. Um, there's a lot under the surface of this movie, and a, I, I would go as far as saying it's one of the best Netflix movies that I've seen. Yeah. I, which isn't uh, saying a lot, because I think most Netflix movies, there's a reason why they're on Netflix. They're just kind of... They're very... Every Netflix movie to me is frustrating because it's so close to being a good movie and then there's just that one thing that holds it back. Um, I think there's only a few great ones and I think Power of the Dog, it doesn't feel like a Netflix movie. Yeah, a lot of Netflix movies end up being really campy in whatever genre that they're set in. And I, I was yeah. worried about that with this because I thought it's, it's going to be like an indie western art yeah. house thing. And I, I, I think I would still maybe describe it as uh, a little art house. Definitely. But 
it is very accessible, and there is just a lot happening. There's a lot going on. That again, picked up the puzzle pieces. I, I've especially in the last like couple of years since I've started getting more and more into film. I avoid with all my heart the ending explained videos on YouTube just because mm-hmm. I'm like, I should be smart enough as an audience member. If I watch the movie attentively, I should be able to put it together. But this one, I was like, I just want to immediately know, like, I just watched this movie. What happened? Yeah. And I watched a video and I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> that's why I, that's like, that's how the puzzle pieces fit together. Yeah. It, it's weirdly. Uh, it's a very smart movie. I it's think very Jane, smart. Jane Campion knows exactly what she's doing, but I was surprised at like how psychosexual it was. There's a lot of restraint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just all these uh, the character dynamics. Uh, I, think I love the power, like the it's manipulation, a and on the, the nose that Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst play a husband and wife together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the first time that they've done it. I probably won't be the last. So. Uh, almost any time Jesse Plemons is in a movie, I'm like, hey, that's Jesse Plemons. <laughs> yeah, he, I, but I'm really glad in the last few years she started to get more roles because he was great in Breaking Bad. Every, a lot of people still saw him as that in Breaking Bad, but he started showing up in a lot. He's in oh, Judas he's in and Fargo. Black Messiah. He is in Fargo. Uh, I haven't seen the Fargo show. Um, it's but good. He, he just shows up as supporting roles a lot, and I think he's starting to get more and more roles. But um, I think what's great about Power of the Dog is you start to realize what every... If you're able to put the pieces together, you see how every character was kind of on top at one point, Mm. I guess, and was manipulating other characters. Um, It's just great. I I don't want to get into spoilers, but... Yeah, we can uh, can talk about... Let's talk about West Side Story. So Let's we talk did, about West Side Story. That's my number four, yeah. Yeah, we just saw this over the weekend mm-hmm. in the theaters with some of our Goins friends. We did. We were Goins to the theater. Goins to the theaters. Uh, this is your number eight. Uh, I knew nothing about West Side Story going in. Well, what, did, what was your star rating for West Side Story? I gave it four and a half stars. So my initial reaction out of the theater was to give it four stars, but I think... On a rewatch, now knowing what I was getting into, I think I would give it higher. And also, I can't ignore the skill on display, mm-hmm. mainly from Steven Spielberg. I think it's one of the best directed movies I've ever seen in terms of being able to actually... I guess some people would consider this a negative if it's sticking out to you and, you can, and it's not just invisible and blending into the story, but being able to see the direction on screen and how great it is and how he places actors and how he moves the camera to tell the story... It's unbelievable. Um, I, I think like when you when you've got a musical, it's going to be easier to see some of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Just because you you've got to kind of have some of that stage play. There's a lot moving in the frame. Um, I think the first half of the movie is almost perfect, if not perfect. Yeah. I was ready to call it like my second or first favorite movie of the year. Wow. Um, and then there's a point. First of all, the movie is two and a half. It's two and a half hours, and it. There was a point where I thought the movie was wrapping up, but not again, not knowing the story, it actually went on for another like 45 minutes or an hour. Um, and so my brain was telling me, okay, we're wrapping up, and then something else would start, and it would keep going and keep going and keep going. I think probably 10 minutes could have been cut out, um, just because the last half of the movie does slow down a considerable bit. Um, and it's a lot more 
depressing than I thought it would be, but... Didn't you say you thought the I Feel Pretty I, number yeah, could have been cut? I, I, while I, like, enjoyed it on its own, I think in the context of the movie, it comes right after kind of that moment where I thought the movie was about to start wrapping up, um, and it's, like, five, six, seven minutes of the movie that I thought could probably be cut out. Yeah. Um, but it's not a bad scene. It just, if there was something I was going to cut out for the sake of pace and runtime, I would cut that. Um, but it's a gorgeous movie to look at. We've been talking over and over about a puddle shot where <laughs> it starts on a puddle and then it gets disrupted and the camera cranes up and looks down and it's unbelievable. A beautiful shot. Absolutely gorgeous. The only thing that ruins it is Ansel being right in the middle of it. So, yeah, I guess people hate Ansel Elgort. Uh, thought he was fine in it. Thought he was good, actually. Um, yeah. I, no, yeah, I, I, I like him. Uh, it's just kind of fun to make fun of him. <laughs> I, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I love West Side Story. I would definitely watch it again. Uh, I think I could see it moving up on my list, but I'm not sure. Higher than four? Maybe. Four and three are very different. My four and three are very different. What's your number three? Well, my number three is The Last Duel. What's your number three? Uh, it's Michael Sarnowski's Pig. Hmm. Which we just watched literally, literally five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right before we... Because I haven't seen it. This is your third time re- seeing it? I think so. Mm. So the first time that I've, I've watched it with someone else. Yeah. Um, and I still cried. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, that's but okay. um, so I guess we'll talk about Pig because it's fresh on the mind. Uh, I, again, finishing it five minutes ago, I don't really know if I have many thoughts on it. It's a very not a lot happens in it. Um, it's it's kind of a guy just looking for his pig. Um, I think that I, there's a lot more emotionally going on, but none of it really resonated as much with me. Um, as it did you. So let's hear your thoughts on it. Well, I, I disagree with your characterization that not a lot happens because I think plenty happens. Uh, there's a the a way that the story is paced that really works for me. Uh, because it, I, it's like the director uh, knew what he was doing with these expectations that most people have right. when you're watch, sitting down to watch a movie starring Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it felt like he, he knew what to do with those dynamics in a, well, in a way that he was still able to tell his own original story. And I, mean, I, went, I went into this movie blind. Obviously, anybody who goes and watches this movie after hearing us talk about it on the podcast won't be They'll have quite some expectation. Blind, but there's a through line that surprised me because uh, there's just a lot of focus on food. Uh, so because I went into it blind, I didn't really know at all what to expect. And seeing food at the beginning, uh, he goes out and hunts for truffles, and then he goes back home and then, like makes a little pie for him and, and the pig. Uh, Every time that food popped up, it, it just got more and more emotional for me uh, because food is something that is essential. It's essential to the way that it's essential to us living. In I general. eat it every day. But apart from it being essential, it's something that we all share. And when we share it intentionally, is where you really get to express things. 
And I think that there's so much that's being expressed, uh, even uh, without like a conversation uh, through this movie, through the images that I just really thought it was a very, very good story, poignant piece of art, um, especially for the, the ages that we live in where so many people are isolated, spend all their time in solitude or you know, they're just alone. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm still, I guess, gathering my thoughts on it. So I, I don't really feel like I can say much about it. But that's your that's your number three. Yeah. So I want Nick Cage to win Best Actor, and I'm starting that campaign now. Interesting, because I, here, let me look over my list one more time. Yeah, I, Quite I yet. think Benedict Cumberbatch should win Best Actor for Power of the Dog. Steven Spielberg should win Best Director, 100%. I don't care that he's Steven Spielberg and that he's Hollywood royalty. He, he deserves Best Director. I'll circle back just to say, like, I, I loved Benedict Cumberbatch in Power of the Dog, but a little bit of his accent just kind of rubbed a, me the wrong way. There, there's, he, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I still but absolutely was, loved his performance. There was fire behind that dude's eyes sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, we were talking about Georgie. Uh, so my number three was the last duel, which um, I guess we won't talk a ton about because we kind of We've we dedicated before. like a third of an episode to it during the November releases episode. So if you're curious on both of our thoughts, just go listen to that episode. Um, it's just one that never really left. It was it got put at number one. Um, because the other two movies above it hadn't come out yet um, when I initially saw The Lost Duel, that is. Um, and it just never really... It got topped by two other movies, because it's my number three, but it never really fell. There were a bunch of movies... Um, like, at one point, House of Gucci was my number three, and Last Duel was my number two, and House of Gucci has now fallen down to number eight. Um, but Last Duel just... It's, I think it's a great movie. I think it was a really um, good story that was told in an interesting way that kept me invested the whole time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's not the deepest thing ever in terms of emotions and stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the things that keeps it maybe from climbing to number two or number one, but um, I think it's well-made. I think it's an interesting story. I'd watch it again. I think that my my top five are really the only ones that I would seek out to actively watch again. Um, but yeah, yeah, the last duel was was a very solid movie. Uh, I think really Scott got a lot of criticism from uh, well. Well, he gave a lot of criticism, and because of that, received a lot. Because he's kind of a cranky old man, and yeah, was yeah, yeah. blaming millennials for not going to see the movie. Which I, I have to be honest, partially I agree with. I think there's a lot of people who, this kind of movie, just it, maybe 20 years ago people would have gone to see it, but um, now people aren't going to go see a medieval epic that they know is about kind of sensitive subject matter. And they know is going to be two and a half hours long, so I think it's partially true. But for him to come out and say say what he said 
definitely kind of made him look stupid. Um, and he's, he just, it's hard to crack him because he's a fantastic director and he's made some incredible movies, but also he just says some stuff that it's like, dude, what are you saying? You're making people not want to support you. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I think the movie's really good. Yeah, great performance from Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer's a st- standout for sure. She's going to be, I just saw, so Ridley Scott is making a Napoleon Bonaparte movie called Kit Bag with mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix and Jodie Comer. Um, also, complete side note, Jodie Comer was in The Rise of Skywalker. What she was Ray's mom in The Rise of Skywalker, which explains why I never noticed it, because I couldn't care less, but... She's, she. I, I looked her up on IMDb recently, um, to see what else she'd been in, and I was like, Star Wars? What? Or no, I I saw somewhere that it was like, did you ever talk to Adam Driver about both of you guys being in the same movie? And she was like, no, I did, just didn't think to, and I don't think he even knows. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, she was in the Rise of Skywalker, but Last Duel is a much better Adam Driver Jodie Comer movie than Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I could do without ever thinking about Rise of Skywalker ever again. Yeah. Anyways, uh, number two. Number two. I picked The Green Knight, hmm. which is my favorite movie of the year. Now, I just want to say to the audience listeners, you can see why this is an interesting and, and tough thing to understand. Because <laughs> what Michael just said is my number two, The Green Knight, is my favorite movie of the year, which doesn't make sense. Um, my number two is Nightmare Alley. Yeah, so you're saying that's not your favorite movie of the year? No. Okay, well because then that's it. the way that linear lists work in terms of ranking number two should never be your favorite. Well, so when I am creating a ranked list, uh, while I understand that it is a my subjective choices lining the list up, I still try to have a little bit of objectivity. Okay. And so the reasoning, uh, I, I say that my number one is like a better movie than The Green Copy Knight. Copy that. Yeah, I have the same dilemma. I I think a lot of my list is fluid in the sense that in a given like three or four spots, they could all be shifted around a little bit in terms of quality and enjoyment. Yeah. So I, I see what you mean there. It's just hard to comprehend how yeah. your brain works sometimes. That That's okay. Uh, I know that... Sometimes it, it takes a little bit of communication for people to understand me, but I appreciate you being patient and asking questions. Yeah, just we don't, don't have to talk about. Don't let it happen again. We don't have to talk about the Green Knight because we have a whole special episode for that. Uh, so, what was your number two? Well, I, I will say about the Green Knight. So it's my number seven. It was maybe aside from another movie that we'll talk about in a second. It was my most anticipated of the year. Also, my most anticipated of twenty twenty. Uh, but we know how that went. Uh, <laughs> So I think I went in, I didn't let myself for a while see it as anything but great, even though my opinion towards the movie was telling me something else. I still think it's a great movie, uh, but I think the reason it's fallen lower on my list to number seven, which is still a good spot, I still think it's a, a really good movie. The fact that I saw it three times and... Now looking back on it, I have a hard time remembering some parts of it, and I have a hard time. I bought the I bought the Blu-ray, but like I I kind of have a hard time wanting to watch it again. I think kind of speaks a little bit to how I personally felt about it. So for that reason, it, I 
pulled it down on the list a little bit to put some other stuff above it um, that I probably would watch again sooner. But I think it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I will say I did watch it uh, on Christmas Eve as well as Spencer. Uh, Didn't you watch it after Christmas Eve as well? Didn't you watch The Green Knight again after Christmas Eve? No. Oh. No, Christmas Eve was the last time that I've seen it. Oh. Which, was that your, like, eighth time or something? Um, I think so. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's been a, 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 just a, maybe a little more than half a year, and I've watched it Mm. that many times. You've watched, so you watched two unconventional but great Christmas movies on Christmas Eve. You watched Spencer and Green Knight. Oh yeah, I had a great day. Yeah, that's really, that's really nice. Yeah, I think the Green Knight's great. I have some frustrations with it. I think what bothers me the most is when I, I really can enjoy ambiguous storytelling and stuff that is confusing on the surface if I know that the filmmaker has objective answers as to what the, I guess, what the truth is behind those moments. So, like, for The Shining... People have been debating that movie for 50 years, 40 years, whatever it is. I think Stanley Kubrick probably had a pretty solid interpretation of this is what it was, but you can think whatever you want. Um, I think maybe the same for something like The Lighthouse. You can have a million interpretations for it. I think Robert Eggers probably knows what he was going for. He just is never going to tell you. With The Green Knight, I don't know that David Lowry even for himself gave himself a concrete explanation as to what was going on. I don't know how you feel about it, but just some of the things I've heard him say about the movie makes me wonder if he even knows what he wants the story to be, or if it's more of let me collect these moments and experiences and just completely let the audience decide. I appreciate you saying all that, because that actually helps me understand your perspective a little bit better. Uh, There's a, a copy of... Sir Gawain and the Green Knight that you can buy now mm-hmm. that is just called the Green Knight and it's got a forward from David Lowry where he oh really? uh, it, it explains uh, some of his own thoughts trying to adapt the 14th century epic poem yeah. into you know a modern movie uh, so I, I think a lot of that comes from like a lot of that uncertainty comes from the source material mm-hmm. and so his goal in creating this movie isn't necessarily to to you know, make a faithful adaptation. What he ended up doing was he, he just used a lot of the set pieces and then put his own spin on some yeah. stuff. So I, th- I think that there are there are like major mysteries from the epic poem that that he acknowledges and even sort of honors in his film. But then he also kind of creates his own mysteries because yeah. it's not. He doesn't want you to stop at the movie. He wants you to, to want to go back to the source. Mm. Yeah. I think the most concrete part of the movie is Gawain's arc. I think one of my favorite part sequences from the movie is the... It's been too long. Saint Winifred. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. But When he I, dives into the water? Yeah. Well, just the whole thing from when he shows up to the cabin to when he leaves. I just don't really know what to do with it. Like, I I don't know what to do with her, her saying the Green Knight is someone you know. Mm-hmm. And then the axe just mysteriously. And then the thing. axe is there. I don't know what to do with that. I love it, but in, this, in the grand scheme of the movie, there's several moments like that that I'm just like, 
it's great. I just don't know what it means. And I don't know if David <laughs> Lowry knows what it means. But um, all that being said, the best last, well, maybe the best last 15 minutes of the year. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite endings of the year. I'll use that to transition into my number two, which is Nightmare Alley. Which, which also has a great ending. I think has my favorite ending of the year. De- absolutely the my favorite last shot, which is just terrifying and amazing at the same time. I can't I can't look at Bradley Cooper the same anymore. Dude, after that performance. I loved it. The, it was a very good movie. I yeah. went into it like not really expecting anything. Same. I did I saw the trailer and thought that I was not gonna like it. because hmm. uh, Guillermo del, del Toro mm-hmm. as a director, he's kind of hit or miss for me. Right. Uh, Pacific Rim is not good, but Pan's Labyrinth is. Pan's Labyrinth is amazing, and so, and so with this, it's just like you know, I, I like some of these actors. Uh, I'll just go and have a good time. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. I think my when I was seeing the trailer play before movies, I was interested, but I didn't really think it was going to be great. I was I was interested in seeing. I think that the trailer was intriguing. The line, is he man or beast, kind of comes up a lot. And I was like, okay, is this going to be a Guillermo del Toro like, creature feature that he's kind of known for? Is it going to be more psychological? Willem Dafoe's in it, giving a monologue. I'm probably going to watch this. And went, I think this is the first movie since the pandemic started that I went and saw by myself. Just because I was like, I, I want to see it before the end of the year. It's about to leave theater, so I went and saw it. And I was blown away um i really don't have many i gave it four and a half stars just to leave room for error but i don't really have any complaints with it aside from maybe a little bit of the pacing it is two and a half hours long as well i without getting to spoilers i love the character arc and and the last shot is just so good i think it's super rich in its detail not just from a story or thematic perspective but from just visually the production design is amazing whenever they're at the circus for the first like 45 minutes hour of the movie just so much to look at and it feels so authentic and then there are things with the story that i feel like i want to go back and revisit just to kind of get a feel for what was happening there's a whole thing with the cyclops baby in a jar (laughs) that i feel like has a little bit more significance than what i picked up on my first viewing that i'd like to just because there is so it's so rich with like the characters and the story that there was a lot that I was taking in so I couldn't really process all of it so there were things like that that kind of slipped through the cracks mm-hmm. that I'd like to pick up on on a, a rewatch so yeah this one really took me by surprise it I I had thoughts about it maybe becoming number one but wow. I, I think it's number two I love it if you Nightmare Alley is another one that I think completely flew under people's radar this and West Side Story both were unfortunately came out at the same time as Spider-Man, one of the biggest movies of all time. So go see Nightmare Alley. Buy it on Blu-ray, whatever you have to do. I think it's great. Yeah, it's pretty well rated among my friends. What's interesting and, is on Letterboxd, nobody likes it. Uh, Everyone's giving it like three stars, which is another reason why I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree Unlike with- you, which this is kind of also unlike me uh, when I saw Nightmare Alley I went with six people um, for, mm. it was discount day and so sometimes on discount day I'll just buy like four or five tickets and then see who shows up yeah uh, but that was a it was kind of a late showing and I remember we we 
all of us were dead tired at the end of the movie, but we were so compelled to just we had to like talk about a couple things, mm-hmm. uh, especially the end, man. It's just... it's so good. Like number one is number one for me on my list, but I don't think there there's the way the story of Nightmare Alley is encapsulated from the beginning to the end is I, one of the best of the year for me. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the best of the year. Um, and the way it wraps up is so great. Also great performances, but I guess we should uh, we should talk about our number one, which just maybe so happens. Maybe we can insert some fanfare. Darn roll. Hakeyokiyo! Dune. Dune. Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. What a dude. What a dune. That's uh, uh... Have you have you seen the Easter egg on Letterboxd on Dune? No, show me. So, uh, on Letterboxd, as an, uh, an app or a website, however you experience it, uh, there's a little icon uh, for whether or not you've watched a movie. Mm-hmm. Normally, the icon is gray for movies you haven't seen. It's yeah. green for movies you have seen. For Dune... It's, it's blue. blue. That's cool. I would I would have never noticed that, but that's really cool. Well, I, I'm a software engineer full time, and I noticed stuff like you that saw it in because the code. I am a nerd. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Dune's it's really good. Yeah, I, just, I pay attention to how, how UIs are designed, so that's that's how it caught my how eye. blue eyes are designed. Blue eyes, UIs. Um, so it's not your favorite movie of the year, but it's your number one. It's such so you a think good it's the best movie. movie of the year? I think it, I think it's the best movie of the year. I know a lot of people will complain because it's Half the it's story. it's not a whole story, but I, this is the same feeling that I had whenever I saw The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, because I hadn't read the books, and so I didn't know uh, really too much about it. But I loved fantasy and I loved sword fighting. And at the end of that first movie, I was like, I loved this, but I want more. Yeah, and, and so that's exactly how I feel about Dune. You know, honestly, I just, I'm sure someone's made this comparison before because it's so apt, if you will. I don't think I've ever used the word apt before, so I feel very smart. Um, you are smart. I think this is the closest I've ever felt in like the essence of a movie to being Lord of the Rings. I think the best way to describe this movie is if Fellowship of the Ring ended when they went to Lothlorien. You mm. just had the big fight with uh, Minds of Moria they leave they go and meet these this new group of people and then it ends and you didn't have the whole like third act, which which is what makes the movie especially the first time i watched it feel very anticlimactic upon a rewatch and thinking about it it doesn't feel that way to me anymore but if fellowship of the ring had just ended at lothlorien i think there would be a what helps fellowship of the ring is that there's a whole nother you get what feels like a third act because there's a confrontation and the story wraps up in a sense dune just ends in the middle of the story but it's so good my path leads into the desert it does and thank goodness part two got greenlit so there was so much time where we were talking about dune wondering if it would even get continued which would have completely changed the way i viewed the movie it'd probably make me not want to watch the movie again because i don't want to yeah, get excited it'd be just such a to, disappointment. yeah it'd be terrible it would go down as one of the biggest cinematic disappointments of all time yeah honestly if 
part two did not get greenlit, uh, I think that I would quit watching movies. I think I would have started breaking windows for fun. <laughs> I, I, think I, would, I think I would have dropped out of college. Do you hear that, started, Hollywood? Whenever would, you don't make our movies, we turn to lawlessness. So make Dune Messiah also. Um, do, again, I watched it the first time. The first time I watched it, I was so just excited about the fact that I was finally watching Dune that I couldn't take it all in. And so I walked out and I had no clue how I felt except that I knew that I didn't love it. And then watching it again, I was able to sit back, relax, knowing because I knew nothing about Dune going in really except that it was Lord of the Rings and Star Wars mixed together. And so getting to experience it a second time in a more relaxed environment, it really hit me how great it is. And I pre-ordered the... 4K Collector's Edition Steelbook, and it will be here on January 11th, and so I look forward to watching it again. Very nice. Yes. Well, that uh, that it, wraps up it, our it looks like that top wraps 10 it up. releases. Uh, again, if you want to see our full list of everything we watched in 2021, it's on our letterbox. You can see. Uh, I'll go ahead and shout out my least favorite movie of the year. I thought Kong vs. Godzilla was atrocious yikes uh and i also uh got strep throat the day that i watched it and so i just felt progressively worse and worse and worse as the movie went on um so i hate that movie with all my heart (laughs) my worst movie of 2021 was uh, this documentary on hulu called a glitch in the matrix hmm and i i actually really enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it was a really again. You can see why this is confusing. It was so much fun to watch, but it's all just bull. And so language, Michael. I don't believe it. Good gravy. Gosh. Uh, so I only gave it two stars. I already struggle to watch documentaries. Yeah, documentaries are tough. I need to be better about watching. Uh, documentaries. But this is a documentary where they're they're like talking about the idea of a simulation theory. Do we live in a simulation? And I just couldn't. Uh, there there were some people that they had on there, and some of the the things that they were saying I was like, this isn't. This is fun to watch. You shouldn't take it seriously. But I can't take it seriously. Copy that. Well, I think, uh, don't, uh, we, we're going to end this season here, but yeah. don't be frightened because we're far from being gone. Yeah, so the, the, this is the last episode of season one. I think I said that at the beginning. I'll say it again now. The, uh, what we've done so far is create 12 episodes, I think. Something like that. Uh, some of them have just been me and Sam. Some of them we've had guests. Uh, we are looking forward to bringing out more ideas and creating new episodes for you guys. The The best way to keep up with what we're doing podcast-wise, uh, you can follow us on social media and uh, sign up for our mailing list. Uh, we've got... Uh, a website Jack, jacksonfilm.club it's jxnfilm.club uh, right now it's just uh, a sign up for the mail list we'll have a, a fully featured website at some point The Sam tell them where they can find us on social media uh, you can find us at the same place minus the dot com at jxn oh, there's no dot com that's what I just said the same thing well, minus yeah, the dot com no there's no minus because there's not a dot com it's jacksonfilm.club it's the same thing Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I don't even know the name of the website. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so just follow us, JXN Film Club. Uh, we want to give a, f- on Instagram. A, f- a few shout-outs, some special thanks. Uh, we want to, first of all, thank the person 
right now we're we're not recording in in the Fairview Sound Studio, but many of the episodes, including the first episode, um, have been recorded at the Fairview Sound by Brennan White. Huge thanks to Brennan. He also wrote the amazing theme song that you hear before yep. and after every episode. We love Brennan. Uh, you, you've heard his buttery voice uh, a, a few times. A few times. He's never been an official guest, but one day he will. He's a really good boy. Very good. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we've had a few event hosts. Why don't you uh, run down the list for us of the people who've hosted film club events? Yeah, so last year, uh, 2021, we held... I think it was 11 events total uh, some of them were in theaters but some of them were in people's houses uh, we do a, mary and i do a deep dive in the history of jackson film club that's an episode that came out earlier mm-hmm. uh, but yeah just quick thank you to everybody who hosted an event uh, that's been in elizabeth wilson uh, david and mary lee lewis mary heath and hannah richards who are roommates uh, and they live together they hosted an event uh, jack mazza and the folks at Red Fox. The old Red Fox gang. Uh, that's primarily Elijah Friedemann and then Mark Goins. Uh, so Hosted the biggest event the film clubs had, which is the Lord of the Rings marathon. Oh yeah, that was the biggest production. That was a good one. Um, we also want to give a special thanks to the podcast guests that we've had on this year. Um, really add a fun dynamic having, always is a fun dynamic having another person on. Uh, we had Mary Heath on. Founding member of the film club went through her top twenty. Jack Mazza was on the first episode of the podcast, um, and Sam Williams. They were both on the Dune reactions episode. We had our our good old boy Jake Sullivan, Mississippi Methuselah, uh, also of Red Fox, uh, and we had Mark Goins and Mason Straw Dog Strotterman, who just got married yesterday. Congrats! Congrats, Strottermans. Um, I also want to give one other shout-out to someone who's very close to me, my brother-in-law, Chris Baldwin, who designed the podcast art that we have that you see on Spotify and on iTunes. Um, If you want to find him anywhere, he has a candle company called Borderland Candles. So go and get some good-smelling candles. I used to work there. I can tell you they smell great. I'll I'll go and say it. They smell (laughs) fantastic. And Um, lastly, we want to thank you. The listener. The listener. <laughs> and we lastly, I want to thank my co-host, Michael Lamb. Oh, thanks. Michael man. Lamb is the workhorse behind Jackson Phone Club and the Jackson Phone Club podcast. He's a great dude. Thank you, Michael. This has been so much fun. I look forward to many more episodes. Uh, well, thank you, Sam, because you were the person who walked up to me and said, do you want to start a film club podcast? And it absolutely made sense. I didn't walk up to you. I sat across the table from you and said it. But... Uh, so look out for season two to be yeah, announced. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, that's it. We're good. Happy 2022. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, a good ending spot. Yeah.